there was sent um, through to my email inbox a survey about the Christian faith. A survey. It was kind of an in-depth survey that arrived in my inbox. It was a study where, let me get this right, it was people under 30, both inside and outside of the church, in the survey, they were questioned about their attitude towards Christianity, and they were questioned about their attitude to the people of God. So there's my survey. It comes in my email inbox. Yeah, most of the survey said what you would expect it to say, you know, so people under 30, inside, outside the church, some of them had some good things to say about the Christian faith, some of them had some negative things to say about the Christian faith, said largely what you would expect it to say. It was, however, the headline evaluation that really caught my attention, because what would you think would be the number one adjective people under 30 outside inside outside the church would use of the people of god the number one adjective to describe christians what do you think it would be you were asked well get this let me give you the percentage 87 percent of those who surveyed they agreed with us that christians today are too judgmental 87% of those agreed, of those questions said that Christians were teaching. Now, now you can probably see it immediately, right? Why this was of interest to me this week, can you? Uh, I, I am sitting there in my office at home reading this survey, and I was at the computer, and I had two screens open at the time, two windows open, and on one window I had this survey. And on the other window on my computer screen, I had Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. Do you see it? Do you see the contrast? So I had in front of me, one side, Christians are too judgmental. 87% of people agree. And then on the other side, I had Jesus saying to his people, verse 1, judge not. Or depending on your translation, do not judge. Christians are too judgmental on one side. And Jesus saying to Christians, do not judge. Quite a contrast, quite a just position. So this is what I want us to do this morning. Yes, I want us to look to Matthew chapter 7. But friends, ought we not to do that humbly and maybe honestly this morning? Like, can we just discard that type of survey or the attitude of the world? Can we? Maybe we can. Or is there perhaps a hint of truth in it? And could this be what happens this morning as we come to Matthew chapter 7. Could God actually reveal to us as a church that we do actually have a problem? And as Christians, we have a problem with judging others. So, you got your Bible there? We've got Matthew chapter 7 in front of us just now. Okay, if we're going to get anywhere at all with a section of Scripture, I think we've got to appreciate that this verb that we're dealing with, to judge has this wide uh, semantic range, this wide variety of meanings in the New Testament. You get that, though, don't you? Come on, you do get that. To judge in the New Testament, it can mean it can be courtroom stuff, can't it? To judge, or it can be make a discerning decision. It can be be nasty about people behind their back. We get that. There's this wide variety of uses of this idea of to judge. So, what is the first thing that we've got to do? What's the first thing we have to work out right now? What it is that Jesus is prohibiting? What is he speaking about when he says, don't judge or judge? What is he talking about? So let's approach it from the negative to the positive. Let's go negative first. 
And let's ask, let's think about what Jesus does not mean. What is Jesus not talking about here? So if you are taking notes, some of you like to take notes in a sermon. Um, if you're taking notes, this is the first heading. Let's, let's note here Jesus' clarification of the injunction. Jesus' clarification of the injunction. Let's go there first. Okay, let me throw this out there. You see if you agree with this. See if you agree with this. That not only does our society know verse 1, that our society very often uses it against the church. Like You're with me that, that our, our culture doesn't, it's pretty, pretty biblically illiterate, isn't it? Like our society in London does not know the Bible very well, but it knows verse 1, do not judge. And it's very happy to use it against the church, isn't it? Do you think so? Like, I'll give you an example. A hypothetical example. Let's say a rugby player in some part of the world. He posts something online on social media where he is, in his own way, trying to defend biblical marriage. Right? Let's just say a hypothetical illustration. So he posts that something online on social media trying to defend biblical marriage. What do we think the reaction is going to be to that? We know the reaction, don't we? Like, we know that Twitter is going to react in this chorus of, chorus of vicious sarcasm. Isn't it? Like, you can imagine the post and then the comments underneath, and it's everyone saying, oh, look at this guy. I thought you Christians weren't supposed to judge. You know, look at this guy. He doesn't even know his own religion. I thought Jesus said, do not judge. You see it? Our society takes this verse, happy to take it, but to use it against the people of God. Now, now you work with me on this, just for a second here. What is the implicit assumption that our society is making, therefore, about that verse? Do you see what it is? What does our society assume? It assumes that what Jesus is doing in Matthew 7 is forbidding critical thought. Isn't that what our society assumes? It assumes that, like, you know, Jesus says, do not judge, that actually what he's doing is telling us we are not allowed to have any uh, opinions at all. We're not allowed to make any value judgments of any kind as Christians. Isn't that the assumption that society makes? Now, if you're a believer in here this morning, is that what Jesus is telling us? When he says to us, judge not, is he saying you cannot have opinions, you, you must not make any judgment calls? Is that what he's saying? Is it? It's not. And we could go all over the Bible to see that the opposite is true. What does scripture say to you? It says, test the spirits. It says, beware of false teachers. Time and time again, we, you know, we are encouraged to have judicious thinking. And we could go all over the Bible to see that. But guess what? We don't need to. Because we can look right here. So I'd ask you to do this. Have a look at the last verse. Have a look at verse 6. <coughs> now, I bet you were scratching your head at verse 6, some of you, were you? Weren't you? I mean, Jesus is talking about judging, and then he talks about pigs, right? So we're, we're scratching our, our heads maybe a little bit, but oh, it's so beautiful when you recognize it. Because do you, do you look, at, look at the section, do you see the, the flow of Jesus' thought and logic? I mean, it's beautiful. At the beginning, in verse 1, he sets off this principle, and he gives you illustrations about judging, and he gives you examples of judging, and do you see what he's doing in verse 6? 
lest we're thinking, oh, Jesus doesn't want us to make any critical evaluation at all. What does he do in verse 6? He actually gives you an example of where you must make a value judgment. Do you see it? Like he, he, he says, unless you're thinking, we've got to walk about as Christians and just blindly tolerate everything, have no opinions on anything. What does he do in verse 6? He actually shows you where you must make a call, where you must discriminate, where you must make a stand. It's brilliant. Now, if that is what Jesus is doing, do you not think we ought to read the example. So read verse 6 with me and let's wrestle with us for a moment. Maybe if you've got kids near you, beside you, point your children to verse 6 and let's read it together. So Jesus says to us, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls, not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot And these dogs and pigs turn to attack you. Now, what do you think, friend, when you hear of a dog? What do you think of when you read dogs? As most of you know, I have got two young daughters. And so my YouTube uh, viewing history is quite remarkable. It is just French bulldog puppy videos, you know, sitting at the computer. And YouTube will recommend a sausage dog puppy video or something like that. Is that what you think of when you hear Jesus speak about dogs? You must understand that is not it. I mean, you understand, don't you, that when Jesus talks here about dogs and pigs, he is talking about wild animals. Like he was talking about savage dogs in the first century world that would hunt in packs, you know, scavenging viciously for food. And and pigs, pigs, we're talking about, you know, wild boars. Now, do you see the picture of verse 6? Like you have this man and he is confronted by all of these wild animals and they're hungry and they're salivated and they're ferocious. And what does he do? He throws the only thing he's got. He has these precious pearls and he throws them at these animals. What do they do? They ignore those pearls. And instead they turn and devour him. And we could sit here just now and we could wonder about how savage and brutal that illustration is. But do we not have to consider what Jesus means here? And I ask you, Christian Fred, do do, do you understand verse 6? Do you see what he's saying? You listen. From Matthew 13, we learn that pearls in this gospel very often refer to the kingdom of heaven. They refer to the message of salvation in Christ. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? He is telling you and me we ought to be judicious as we seek to witness of him. Not just telling us that we've got to take care when we evangelize. Not just telling us we've got to be careful when we witness. He is telling us, now listen to this. He is telling us there are people we ought to actively avoid when we go out into the world with the good news. I don't know about you. I find that idea really striking and shocking. So I have to bring this to you. And I have to ask, Christian friend, are you listening to this? And are you, in the power of the Holy Spirit, is applying this to your life? Okay, verse 6, great. We realize judging is not about abandoning critical thought. We've got it. I'm asking you, though, is verse 6 relevant to your life? right now today 
Let's think it through. Like, are there people in your life just now who only, only want to mock when you bring up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are there people like that? Are there people in your life who are just salivating, ready to attack, only wanting to argue with you when you talk about sin or talk about salvation? People in your life who are just waiting on edge, desperate for an opportunity to ridicule you because of your Christian faith. It's the only thing they want to do. Is there people like that in your life? Surely you must listen to verse 6. You must hear it. Could it be, Christian friend, that God wants you, maybe just for a time, maybe just for a season, but could it be that God wants you to turn away from those animals and turn to other needy souls in your attempts to speak of your Savior and to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ? So you got it with me? We see the clarification that Jesus gives of this injunction. Okay, let's move on. Second of all, let's consider the core of Jesus' injunction here. The core of Jesus' injunction. Okay, hopefully you see the logic. You see what we've just done. We have considered together what, when Jesus says, judge not, we've considered what he is not prohibiting. He is not prohibiting. He's not telling you to abandon your critical faculties as a Christian and just be this fool that goes out and has no opinion. Where does that leave us right now? We need to know what Jesus is prohibiting and what he is talking about when he says to us, do not judge. Okay, we need to, what is this? What are we being talk, told about? So how are we, how are we going to tackle this? Well, maybe a definition might help us just now. Like maybe if we define judging as a fault-finding spirit, we begin to come to terms with this prohibition. Do we? Maybe if we define it as a condemning attitude, maybe that helps us, does it? So we could define, maybe a quotation might help us. Now, I read this this week. Now, you see if you grab this. Sometimes a quote helps us to hang our hands. It's sometimes memorable, isn't it? Let me read this. See if you agree. See if you can get it. The gentleman in question said this. What Jesus addresses in this section is our tendency as Christians, to take our responsibility to discern and to warp that into undue criticism. That's good, isn't it? That's helpful. What are we talking about this morning? Our tendency, we, our responsibility to discern, we warp that into undue criticism. So maybe a definition helps us. Maybe a quotation helps us. But I'll be frank with you and honest with you. I think what is most helpful, unsurprisingly, is the illustration that the Lord Jesus Christ provides you in verse 3. So could we all do that? Could we all look at this, young and old, the boys and girls at the front and the back, so forth. If we all look at verse 3, let's look at Jesus' illustration. Boy, does it shed light on this for us this morning. Let's look at it, even if you know it. Now, what does Jesus say? He says to us, he said, do not judge. Then he says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? But you don't notice the log that is in your own eye. Now, let me, there's your illustration. Let me point out, try to point out a number of elements of that. What do we learn there? First is this. We learn that 
this fault-finding judgmental spirit we're talking about this morning, it is, it is hypocritical at heart. See, I, I, I guess I'm, I can be pretty confident about this. You know this illustration, don't you? In verse 3, I reckon everyone from the youngest to the oldest in the room has heard. You know that speck and logs and plank stuff. You know it. We've all heard it. We know it. Well, now, like, work with me then. What is the problem in the illustration? Like, make sure that I've got this right as your minister. The problem is not just that a man is trying to take a speck of dust out of another man's eye. That's not the problem, is it? That's not, what's the problem? Obvious problem. Make sure I've got it right. The problem is he is willing to overlook this massive plank protruding from his face in order to do so. That's the problem, is it? Is that the problem? Don't you see then what Jesus means? I mean, listen, friends, what is being critiqued this morning is not just that we are criticizing other people, not just that we are condemning other people. What is the issue here at hand? It's the fact we are willing to do that while all the time overlooking our own transgression. That's what's being critiqued here, isn't it? Our willingness to condemn other people, criticize other people, all the time ignoring our own sin. And I do not at you, but at this point it almost feels that Jesus Christ is looking directly at me. Because is it not the case we recognize that in our own lives? I mean, you think about it for a moment. We bemoan other people's lies and all the while happily ignore our own sexual immorality. Or we criticize other people's expenditure and we're happily just to ignore our own greed, aren't we? And we attack and we moan and we criticize people's life choices. All the while, happy, happy to overlook that we are pursuing our own selfish gain. Do you not see it? In a way, we are no better than King David was in that first reading. You know, we bemoan how somebody has stolen a lamb and killed. And all the time, what do we do? All the time, we commit adultery and we kill. Do you see it? What is the issue at hand? It is not just that we are critical. The issue before us is that we are hypocritical as well. Then notice this in the illustration too. Notice that this fault-finding judgmentalism, do you notice it is especially prevalent in the church? It's especially prevalent in the church. Have another look at verse 3, please. Have a look at verse 3. This time, when you look at it, consider what Jesus doesn't say. Okay, now, if you're visiting this morning... You visit in the church this morning, um, hopefully you realize that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is not speaking to everyone in the world. In the Sermon on the Mount, he has taken his people up the hill. He is speaking to the church. He is speaking to, he's speaking to the people of God. And notice what he doesn't say. He does say to Christians, why do you see the speck in your friend's eye? And he doesn't say, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye? Now, what does he say to the people of God? What does he say to Christians? He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? Your brother's eye. The term the New Testament so often used for our fellow believers, for our family of faith. And because of that, I could spend 
ages and ages just now trying to convince you that this sort of judgmentalism is prevalent in the house of God. I could spend ages and ages trying to convince you that this sort of undue criticism is something that Christians loved. I could spend ages and ages doing that, and I do not need to do that. Why not? Because you, Christian friend, already know that that is true. Isn't it familiar to us? The young convert who criticizes his contemporaries' lack of zeal for Jesus. We've seen that a million times, haven't we? The old Christian who criticizes the way that the church has changed. We've seen that, haven't we? What about the pastor who criticizes and criticizes his colleagues' theological mistakes? Yeah? What about the person in the pew who criticizes, criticizes their fellow believers' lack of service and lack of love for Jesus? We know this to be true, do we not? This judgmentalism is not just a problem. This judgmentalism is a problem in here. And then here's the last one on these. Notice how this fault finding can be addressed and how it can be attacked. See, I really wonder this morning how you, Christian friend, are approaching this text. Do you remember what I said at the start? That we should approach Matthew chapter 7 humbly, you know, and... Um, honestly, I wonder if you are doing that and if I'm doing that this morning, are you? Um, I also wonder, I wonder if the Lord is speaking to you and the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. Is that happening? Are you guilty in this? I am guilty here. Are you? If so, Surely we want to know how to fight this critical spirit and this judgmentalism, don't we? Don't we, don't we want to know how to tackle this? Well, uh, praise Jesus. He makes it clear. Because what Christ shows us here is this, that the best way for us to fight judgmentalism is to focus on ourselves. Did you hear that? The best way to fight this critical spirit is to focus on our sin. Our sin. Now, I want to show you that in a couple of ways. At the risk of sounding like a broken record here, let me point you back to verse 3. Look at the first word of verse 3. What do you notice? Isn't it a bit unusual? Do you see the device that Jesus uses here? He frames this as a question. Isn't that unusual? He doesn't just talk about a man with a speck in his eye. He doesn't just talk about that idea. He frames that as a question. He says, why do you do this? Now, do you see what Jesus is doing? Our Lord at that point is prompting you to ask that question of yourself this morning. To ask, why do I do that? Why do I unduly criticize? Why do I pick fault? Why do I judge? Do you see it? He is turning this. He's encouraging us to ask this of ourselves. But then look what he does in verse 5. Please look at verse 5. Because we're asking, Lord, what is the solution? How do I tackle this fault-finding spirit? And what does he say to you, Christian friend? What does he say? He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And isn't that the answer? And isn't that the solution to what I hope you agree is something that is tarnishing 
the witness of the Christian church today. How do we fight this? What we must do is identify our own sin and fight that with all we have in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit and fight to put it to death. So I'll ask you some questions and you see if these ring true. Are you a Christian in here who you know in your heart hearts is prone to speaking ill of other people behind their backs? And prone to do that especially with your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Or how about this? When a name is raised in conversation, the name of another believer, a member of the church, a minister somewhere, is your first thought and your first word very often critical? Do you so quickly go negative? Is that true of you? Do you pursue that thrill of joining with your friends in the criticism of other people? Is that true of you? Then surely you have to consider this portion of Scripture very carefully and as soon as that temptation to judge others raises its head. What do you do? As soon as you feel that temptation rise, what do you do? You plead with God for help. And you ask him specifically to identify, to show you, to reveal your own sin that you might do what? That you might first take the log out of your own eye. So we see clarification of the injunction. We see the core of the injunction. And I'm going to close off the sermon, thirdly, with the consequence of this injunction. The consequence of this injunction. And as I do this, and as I close, I want to ask you a question that I have asked you before in the Sermon on the Mount. There's so many topics that Jesus covers in the Sermon on the Mount. There's just such a wide variety of stuff. So I've asked you this before. I'll ask you it again. This topic, what do you think of this topic? Come on. Like, I think this morning there's some people who are asleep, maybe, you know? Um, and, you know, I can't judge you today. Um, but, you know, you've had a tough week, and you're here this morning, and you're tired, and this is washing over you. Maybe. Okay? There's other people in here, I think who know very much that the Almighty God is speaking to them about their sin from this portion of Scripture. So you've got that side and that side. I also think there's a middle group, okay? And there's a middle group, there's maybe most people in here, who are, well, thinking, is this such a big subject, really? I mean, it's not the cross, in a sense. Like, it's not justification, is it? It's not uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the minister preaches on how we speak about other people and our attitudes, our heart attitudes. To and maybe most people, maybe you think this is peripheral stuff. Maybe this is secondary stuff. If you are even tempted to think that, look again at verse 1. Because we have not finished that verse. Look at what Jesus actually says. He says, judge not. And then he says, that you not be judged. So the Lord Christ speaks of an effect or a consequence of our fault-finding spirit. Now, what do we want resolved there? I bet everyone's in the same boat here. What we want resolved is, who is it that's going to do the judging there? 
right? Who's in view? I criticize somebody else. Somebody's going to judge me. Who is it, right? Is it another person? Like when I lived in Edinburgh a hundred million lifetimes ago, and I was playing music as, as my, yeah, my job in Edinburgh, and I had a friend who never had a nice word to say about anyone. Do you know that sort of person? You know that person who's just endlessly critical. Never a nice word to say about anyone. Now, what happens to that guy? That guy ends up isolated and alone. And you see why, don't you? You know, the tables eventually turn. If we have this fault-finding spirit, if we have this condemning attitude, eventually people turn, they criticize you. And you may be sitting there thinking, that's what Jesus is talking about right now. That if we're critical of other people, tables will turn on us and people will eventually criticize us. If we judge, they'll judge us. You think of that? It's true, but that is not what your God is saying to you in his word. This is infinitely more serious. Martin Lloyd-Jones said of this what he was quite fond of saying. But he said that this verse of the Bible, verse 1, is one of the most arresting phrases in all of the Bible. And you can see why Jesus is talking about the judgment of God. And if you're a Christian, what do you know? You know, in Christ, you are eternally secure. Right? We know this. We know that your salvation is not dependent upon your faith or your actions, or the performance of your faith, your salvation is dependent on what Christ has already achieved for you. You know, if you're a Christian, you're eternally secure in Christ. What else do you know? That though that be true, one day you will stand before your God. And one day, even as a Christian, you will have your works assessed. And what we're learning here, that if we found on that day to have lived with this critical spirit throughout our life, what will happen with the measure we've used? It will be measured against us. If we be judging, we will be judged. And I do not know about you. That's enough for me. That is enough for me. I no longer do I think this is peripheral. No longer do I think that this is just a half-hearted secondary issue. I'm going out here and I, I tell you this, I am going to seek to put to death my fault-finding spirit. I judge, and I too will be judged. And then I, I end with this. and I, I, We have to end. So I end with this. And this is to the people in this room who are not Christians. If you're not born again in Jesus Christ, please listen to me if you've listened to nothing else. There is... One other reason why we must not judge as people. There's a reason here that is not explicitly dealt with here, but it is so crucial for you to understand. I wonder if you see what it is. Why should we not judge? Because when we judge, what we are doing is seeking to usurp the role of the almighty God, whether we realize that or not. Why should we not judge? Yes, because we're sinful and we are unfit to judge each other. Why should we not judge? Because the almighty creator God has set a day when he and he alone will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. So I close and I point you to your only place of hope for when that day comes. I hope you understand that your philosophical objections 
to the God of the Bible, though you cling to them really firmly just now, on that day as you stand before the King of glory, you will not even remember your philosophical objections to him. Do you understand that all of these excuses you use today for not repenting of your sin and coming to Christ Jesus, you stand before the throne of judgment, all of that will evaporate. I hope you understand that all of us and all of this world, we all have logs and planks or eye. We have sin that is rampant in our being. And so what is our only hope? Our only hope is the righteousness of another. Our only hope for that day is to be united today by faith repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope this morning you see, if you came in here as someone who was not a Christian, you see just now you are in need. You are a sinner in need. And I hope today you finally come to rest in Jesus Christ for what he alone can give you. What is it that Christ can give us? He can give us pearls. He can give us riches. Only Christ can give us the treasure of eternal reconciliation with God, the judge. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we uh, praise you for your words. We thank you that it is not a mere guidebook for lifestyle. It does not contain nuggets of wisdom. It is a living word, expirated, breathed out by God. We are grateful, Lord God, that you have saved your people. You have called us to be holy. So we ask specifically that you would help us to defeat, to mortify our sin of judgmentalism, Lord God. Would you forgive us for it? Would you empower us to go out and defeat it by your Holy Spirit? And Lord, we pray, as we always do, that you might save people. Lord, should there be people in this room who are alien to you, who are antagonistic to you, we pray that you, by your great mercy and your great grace, as you have done with us, would you take them for yourself? Would you have mercy on them? And would you save them in Christ Jesus? And we pray in his matchless name. Amen.